You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the group think, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the conservative conscience. And welcome back to your truth-speaking shop here at Conservative Review. This is the conservative conscience. Daniel Horowitz back in the house for Thursday, May the 16th. And uh, this is going to be a freewheeling Thursday. Usually we have our freewheeling uh, Friday shows where we kind of tie up loose ends so many different thoughts swirling around my mind. You might be following me on Twitter at RM Conservative. You could see that I am running the gambit of issues. And it's one of these days where I could just speak in front of the microphone for hours. And the only challenge is just organizing my thoughts. Lots of different loose thoughts today we're going to put out because tomorrow I want to have a guest on to try to dissect the president's speech on his Jared Kushner immigration plan. So I don't want to really spend much time on that today. I figure, you know, as of this recording, he's speaking in two hours. So let's kind of get this out now, tie up some other loose ends, and we'll come back to what's going on with regard to this particular aspect of immigration tomorrow. So one of the things that caught my eye today, random story, I'm sure fewer, if any of you have seen it. This is from CQ Magazine. Uh, it's a subscription. Uh, wait, yeah, this is subscription, um, but they might have it at the free roll call site. Liberals once again target anti-abortion Democrat. Liberal activist groups are aiming to launch more progressive Democrats into Congress and not only by defeating Republicans. Marie Newman, who narrowly lost to eight-term representative Daniel Lipinski, and the 2018 Democratic primary in Illinois is planning to challenge him again. And they talk about Emily's List, MoveOn.org, NARAL, Pro-Choice America, Planned Parenthood Action Fund, all these groups getting involved. And I was thinking what, what, what amazed me about this story, why I think it's so important, is it demonstrates how we have no movement. There is no movement on the right because you just need to look at the left to see what a movement is. Think about it. The current orientation of the Democrat House is the most left-wing caucus you've ever had. They're out of control. You have one pro-life Democrat left, and even then, it's not like he rails against it, does big stuff, You know, is an active tool against their cause. He's just officially pro-life. He's one of the he's the only one left, I think. <laughs> Maybe there's one other who because of his Catholic upbringing doesn't want to completely throw it uh, you know under the bus. But at the end of the day, he is still a liberal democrat, votes for all their stuff. But on one issue, he dissents from them. And they figure, wait a minute. This is Illinois. This is not Oklahoma. It's it's you know outside of Chicago. I, I don't think there's any threat of Republicans ever picking up that district. We're going to go after him. Think about the fact that 
We spoke about yesterday. You know, all these states where you have red state rhinos. Endless from red states. And there's no impetus, there's no movement to replace any of them. Once in a while, you get random candidates that decide to run, but there's no movement. You know, I kind of gave the president a hard time for not supporting challengers or at least not staying neutral. And instead, sometimes he supports bad incumbents. But again, the president is open to our ideas more than anyone in recent years. But he's just he's not going to lead where no one's going where no one's leading. If there's no movement, he's not going to be that movement for you. That's just a reality. So, you know, at some point, the problem is that we you know, we don't have a movement. We don't have a heritage foundation anymore. We don't have a movement of ideas. We don't have a movement of strategies. So when the president just feels pressure from the party apparatus and there's only going to be blowback but no positive reinforcement to do the right thing, he's not going to be incentivized to do it. And that's the thing. I'm just saying you look at what the Democrats do. They expect 100% of their districts to be 100% with them on 100% of the issues. We don't have almost a single guy who's with us on 100% of the issues. These guys usually not just dissent, but serve as a tool to undermine us on all these issues. And that's my broader point here. We don't have a movement. We have personalities. We have people that are trying to write or talk or have shows to promote their personalities. We don't have a movement of ideas. Movement of personalities. So we don't have people sitting and calling the play calls. So sometimes I'm frustrated with this administration for doing half measures and not going all the way, but it's it's tough if there's no one pressuring him and then likewise backing him. <clears throat> like I can make fun out of the president for talking about getting rid of birthright citizenship and then not doing it, but think about it. Who is creating a movement behind sovereignty except for me and a couple others? 90% of the people on Fox News bash him on that issue. So, I mean, he's not going to be a Moses of the generation. He's just not. I don't think anyone could be anyway, even someone who's better than Trump. That's why, to me, the issue at this point isn't so much Trump or not Trump. It's we need a movement for after Trump, for whoever becomes the leader. You need a movement to lead. So that's that's just one thing there. Now, one other thing, just to get into the Kushner thing a little bit. What bothers me here is that evidently today, Brooke Rollins was the one who gave a slideshow presentation, PowerPoint presentation, to House Republican staff, maybe Judiciary Committee staff, the ones that deal with immigration, on this new plan he's releasing. And I, I don't think there's any legislative text yet. It's just a set of principles and ideas. And it just struck me. I was like, why is Brooke Rollins leading that? She's a libertarian. She's not conservative on this issue. 
the very, think about this, the very person who is the impetus for passing jailbreak is the one now leading on immigration when she is so illiterate on crime and immigration that if she would understand the issue, as we reported yesterday, 43% of those in the federal criminal justice system are non-citizens. So how could someone be that ignorant and talk about low-level drug offenses when it's all cartel guys who are arresting on drug trafficking these days in the federal system? And she's the one now leading on immigration. But again, we don't have any leaders, really. So Jared, you know, wants to, to put together a real estate deal, his peace process deal, his immigration deal. So he'll find out who's a conservative. Oh, well, let's take Brooke Rollins, because these are the people that, that they have. They, they, there are no conservatives. But I was just thinking about this particularly. It, it when, I, when I saw the name Brooke Rollins presenting today on immigration, it just like, it really hosed me, especially, again, in light of our article yesterday on, um, <clears throat> what do you call it? You know, just the population of the federal prison population, the federal prison population going down by 16% over the last decade. And the fact that they're all the drug trafficking, it's all cartel related. It's no longer from the 80s and 90s, you're a schlepper in the street, American who gets roped. You're not in the federal system and certainly not the people that are talking about locked up for so many years. It was all built on a lie. So what the reason why I got into this, I want to get back to abortion and lessons on that. But um, I saw an article from Breitbart. I, I missed this case. But Mexican cartel connected to heroin trafficking busted in Oklahoma. The U.S. Attorney's Office for the Northern District of Oklahoma announced the indictment of 29 alleged members and co-conspirators of a drug trafficking organization with ties to the cartel de Jalisco Nueva Generation. CJNG. 29 are accused of participating in criminal enterprise to possess and distribute heroin and perform money laundering. The indictment alleges that Giovanni Drug Trafficking Organization established a heroin distribution network based in Mexico with operations in Tulsa dating back to November 2017. The organization allegedly imported, processed, and distributed approximately two kilograms of heroin per week while utilizing multiple level, levels of distribution to supply street-level dealers and users. So notice, these are cartel guys, guys getting it from Mexico. Distribute to street-level guys. Those are the ones the feds are going after. And again, as I said before, who do you think's doing this? Processing, importing. Even the drugs that come in at the points of entry, they're illegal aliens that come in between the points of entry the drug problem is a cartel problem. It's a legal immigration problem. It's a border problem. It's a national sovereignty problem. It's not some like domestic crime, low-level crime thing. But, but at the end of the day, if you would look at the docket, the actual indictment, the charges will be just regular distribution and money laundering. Oh, it sounds even like white collar, low-level. But they don't understand the, the, the feds are going, these are the networks. 
Cell heads were identified as Jose Garcia, Edson Garcia Valasquez, Norman Fabian Huerto Avalos. I mean, I can't verify if they're legal or illegal immigrants, but they're likely illegal. Jalisco, the most violent transnational cartel operations in 40, 50 countries. But all these 29 guys, at the end of the day, all they're going to be charged with is drug trafficking and money laundering. All of them will be eligible for all of the front and back end leniencies on this First Step Act passed by, pushed by Jared and Brooke Rollins. The illegals. I mean, that's what's so dumb about it. If you're, if you're that illiterate on the issue of cartels and drug trafficking and federal prison population that you pushed what you did with the um, First Step Act, you have no business getting anywhere near immigration. So that itself just bothers me. But anyway, again, jumping around a little bit, let's get back to abortion. I mentioned yesterday we're going to talk about abortion today. A lot going on with a lot of red state legislatures passing uh, laws clamping down on abortion more than ever. They're you know finally trying to just do the right thing. Alabama pretty much shutting off all abortion, and one after another you have these you know Republicans. Uh, Kevin McCarthy just came out and says it goes further than I believe. Um. Yeah, 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 right. So, you know, they're going to come out and condemn it. But I want to speak to you about a very important thing. Some of you might have seen. I wrote a quick article about it. A very important good piece of news related to this abortion debate that I think has bearings for what we're dealing with um, headed forward. Remember last week we talked about this Virginia judge, uh, Bush appointee, Judge uh, E. Hudson, Henry E. Hudson, who issued a preliminary injunction against Virginia's longstanding requirement since 1975 that those who perform abortions, including surgical abortions, be licensed physicians. And he's like, no, anyone could do it. Right? Just, just totally dismissed any evidence of complications, any need. There's no possible need, no possible need that a state could ever require such a thing. Preliminary injunction. Right? Pending the the trial. And, you know, at the time we noted that, like, you know, the, the landmark Casey case just said explicitly that states could always regulate the licensing even for those giving counseling on abortion, much less performing them and it was just like it literally violates Supreme Court precedent um, and it was nuts and it was from a Republican judge well in an extraordinarily rare reversal Hudson issued an order on Tuesday eight days later vacating his injunction out of nowhere and I verified with pay, you know checking into Pacer on the docket there were no motions filed. So it's not like it was in response to a motion of by defendants to say, hey, like, you know, you got it wrong. Like, you know, the to reconsider. There was no motion to reconsider. Um, because keep in mind that 
the plaintiff in this case is the Virginia government, the Virginia attorney general, and that's a Democrat. So now they're bound to defend the law, but you know, they're not going to go out of their way to file extra motions. So it makes So I, I don't know. I tried to verify with people that know this better than I do, but I never remember a judge just on his own volition without any motion within eight days reversing his preliminary injunction. If you remember, there's, there's a step before that called a tro, a temporary restraining order. That's like, okay, there's something big going on. I need to give pl- uh, relief to a plaintiff before I could consider it. It's very little consideration. Sometimes there'll be a one-page order. Okay, this was like a 16-page write-up. Preliminary injunctions are usually more thought out. And it was clearly thought out. He wrote about it. You know, it was very clear. And it's not like, you know, sometimes you have new policies. You know, an executive branch will issue an emergency policy. They take it to court. It's not clear. The facts on the ground aren't clear. You issue a preliminary injunction. Then you come back, hey, the facts have changed. Um, I mean, this has been just a basic law on the books for 40 years that you need to be a licensed physician. Like, there's no facts on the ground you're going to learn about. It's it's not a dynamic uh Volatile issue. But nonetheless, just two sentences, the guy wrote, on further review, the court is of the opinion that summary judgment was impro- improvidently awarded. Meaning, he, he made the wrong decision to the parties on count four based on the present record. Rather, on further consideration, whether the physician's only law presents an undue burden to Virginia women who seek an abortion is a material fact that is genuinely in dispute. Folks, to me, what this says, what this demonstrates is that the guy felt the blowback. The guy felt the blowback. People really made fun out of this and hit him for it. And he had second thoughts. It proves a longstanding view I've had that it's like whenever there's an opinion, we're like, well, I disagree. It's the law of the land. No, you delegitimize it. You don't have the power. You don't have the standing. You're violating precedent. You're violating law, violating constitution. This is null and void. You delegitimize it, at least rhetorically. Don't accept it. That was Lincoln's whole point with Dred Scott. Before we talk about what you want to do in a response, how the existing powers and the other branches of government fight back against it with their powers, but just even rhetorically, well, it's the law. Well, no. As Lincoln said, it's not thus says the Lord. And you see, even the guy himself is able to go back on it within eight days. It's a joke. So this is the point. It's like the law says, well, what, what law? Well, the Supreme Court has decided or this court has decided. Well, it's called an opinion for a reason. They give judgment to a plaintiff, but if you want to make their opinion about the rule, policy, law, constitutional clause surrounding that as the law, that's that's not self-executing. That's something that society has to, and the other political branches, the states, have to agree to. And right away, you have an obligation to delegitimize, and I'm telling you, they're going to back off. I'm telling you, judicial supremacy is built on a house of cards. It's like a fly that thinks that it's trapped 
but really it could get out. There is an opening, but it, it, in its own mind, it can't. That's what we're like. We think, oh, there's nothing we do. Of course, uh, the courts are nothing as it relates to politics. Again, there's a very important role of the courts. Civil cases, criminal cases, you know, there's a role that they have that's very important. You know, still 70, 80% of what the courts do are important and the system generally does work. And that's why I'm so hawkish about pushing back against them when they get involved in political questions or give standing to a plaintiff to try try to create a case or controversy to decide a political issue because that's a different story. And that's going to undermine the courts. I believe in preserving the judiciary. There's a role, there's a reason we have it. It's the number 3 branch of government. It's not the number 1 and it's certainly not the only and sole and final say, but it's there. It's important. Can't have a republic without it. But that's the point. Don't accept it. And that's why I applaud, you know, people like my, my buddy Gaston's dad, Arnold Mooney, who's running for Senate now in Alabama. He's in the legislature. He was part of the leaders, you know, fighting this and fighting to pass this bill in Alabama. This really has bearings on this whole debate with Alabama. Everyone's like, well, what do you mean? It's been decided in Roe and Casey. No, it's the whim of one judge or three judges or a panel of nine judges. It's an opinion, meaning everyone agrees if you have a real law, meaning either, you know, a legislature passes a law, uh, an executive implements a policy. And people don't like it and there's blowback. You don't take I'm saying even a real law, it's a real law. We don't take that as final. You push back. No, we're going to repeal it. We're going to, no. You don't take that face value. So how much more so a court opinion to an individual plaintiff in 1973 that reverses law, that runs them up the Constitution? We don't have to like, oh, well, we have to wait until it's the Supreme. No, we're a separate branch of government. We're a separate state. Here's what we're going to do. Now, if the federal courts inevitably they will get involved, they come back again with a ruling. You see what happens, but then you come back again with another law, and I mean you push back against it, and you see it influences them. If more people would be doing what I'm doing, then there's no doubt they would have second thoughts. You're seeing that a little bit, like I said with the Ninth Circuit, with the return to Mexico policy. There's this perception that the Trump administration is maybe on the cusp of pushing back. They only do because they can, because they get away with it. Because the conservative phony movement that doesn't exist told them, hey, buddies, whatever you say is the law. So they're like, all right, well, we'll say what we want. But the minute you delegitimize it, they realize how weak they are. That's how Scalia ended off his um, opinion in Obergefell. That's the thing. Scalia's point in Obergefell was that the more radical opinions you give, the more you're going to lose everything. It's, It's almost like a bubble. Like you're blowing up a balloon and you want it as big as possible, but you never know. You go too far, then you lose everything. 
And I think that's where we're at now. Here's what Scalia said at the end of um, the gay marriage case. Hubris is something defined as weaning pride. And pride, we know, goeth before a fall. The judiciary is the least dangerous of the federal branches because it has neither force nor will, but merely judgment and must ultimately depend upon the aid of the executive arm and the states, even for the efficacy of its judgments. With each decision of ours that takes from the people a question properly left to them, with each decision that is unabashedly based not on law, but on the reason judgment of a, a, and he puts that in quotes, reason judgment of a bare majority of this court, we move one step closer to being reminded of our impotence. And that's the joke. That's what he said. You just, it takes one time. And that's what I love about this. It's like, it's like, um, I don't know. I mean, like I said, it, 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 it's the equivalent of uh, a handful of 100-pound women blocking the way of um, a 250-pound champion boxer. Like, ah, what, what do I do? It's, it's struck down. They, they're blocking my way. I can't, I can't get out. can't do anything. You're a prisoner of your own mind. I mean, if you want, you. I mean, it just takes one time. It's over. I mean, that's why you start to see, like, the political class, including some people on the pseudo-right, are so scared about these abortion laws. Like, oh my gosh, the courts! That's what we need. That's what it means. Like, I'm telling you, it's not... There's a step before directly, like, the court says one thing and you do another thing. You first just continue passing laws that aren't with in concert with those rulings to demonstrate that you believe... The political rule is different. In a specific case, what you're going to do with that plaintiff, that you build up to that. But you first have to delegitimize it. But again, this is where it comes in the fact that we have a movement of personalities, not a movement of, of ideas. So we have a movement of people that get up on Fox and comment on a court ruling or comment on this or comment on that. But we don't have people building a movement of ideas. It's not about me and my two cents and my quotes in a news story or a news clip. But to build a long-term movement. I could totally get a lot of accolades by merely reporting on things, doing more newsy stories, taking my opinions for the most part out of it, and just commentating or doing news and I have a lot of interesting things to talk about and report on. And then itself would be heads and head and shoulders above what these other guys are doing, which is just offering nothing new. But I feel duty bound. If you really believe this is a problem and you really know this is going on and you're seeing that and you're reporting on it, well, what are we going to do about it? If you really believe these court opinions are wrong, and it's judicial activism, judicial supremacism, and it doesn't exist, well, then it doesn't exist, and you have an obligation to push back against it. So I think that's the importance here. Now, sadly, look, I'll take this movement when it comes to abortion, but sadly, abortion is the only issue where we even have somewhat of a movement to push back. And you're seeing the results. You're seeing we're, we're, we're really making progress on that issue. Some of it has to do with technology, ultrasounds, 3D imaging. But, you know, I think we're really uh, making progress there. 
the reason you're not seeing this on election law, affirmative action, immigration, gay marriage, sexuality, because nobody, we don't have a movement around that. So they're not pushing back. And that's the thing. Abortions are the one movement we still do. And a lot of people really hit at that judge, Henry Hudson. Now, if it would have been a Democrat appointing, I think they totally wouldn't care. You can't even influence them. But this guy, you know, it still was a Bush appointee. And it could be he got a lot of blowback. And that's what we need to do. That's the point. You got to lay down the marker. If you're not ready to fight this time, at least call your shot. This is irrelevant. This is, well, what are you going to do next? You're going to do even more? You lay down a marker. So then if they cross it, everyone knows and they're ready for it. This is exactly what Lincoln said when he talked about, um, you know, what was going on with, with Douglas. I cannot shake Jug, Judge Douglas's teeth loose from the Dred Scott decision like some obstinate animal that will hang on when he has once got his teeth fixed. You may cut off a leg or he may tear away an arm. Still, he will not relax his hold. And he talks about the fact that once you bind yourself to one opinion, you inevitably bind yourself to the next. You're like, oh, okay, well, they'll never go that far. Or if they go that far, then, oh, yeah, well... No, I mean, once you agree they're supreme, then there's nothing that they can't do. And that unless it's overturned by a higher court, or unless if it's a Supreme Court, a subsequent Supreme Court so-called overturns it, there's nothing you can do. But that's, that's nonsense. You see a one-man show at a district level, eight days later, could reverse his own thing, unilaterally, without any motion. So the notion that entire state governments and Congress and the president and the attorney general, that they must treat everything like that. That's no. So at least lay down the marker. And the more you do this, at the very least, you know, maybe the courts will still go after you and say, no, this violates Roe. And, you know, but they're not going to expand their abortion stuff like they're like they've been doing recently. The more they feel this blowback, like, like, like I told you. I told you this before. The same power the president has to shut off immigration, he has to shut off to ground airplanes. So the president issued an executive order through his FAA commissioner to ground those Boeing planes that were crashing, 737 jumbo jets. If Boeing were to take that order to court... Do you think for a minute a judge would bite on that? And, and order, no, you got to fly those planes. Dude, they know the public safety. It's not political. It's uni, uni, right? There's no like partisanship on that. Everyone agrees once, once it grounded. Do you think they're going to mess with something they know that the majority of the political class is going to push back against them? Like Scalia said, they're going to be reminded of their own impotence. So they're not even going to try it. That's part of the problem. It's not so much even with the judges. It's with the other branches of government. They just, Like I said, I mean, the reason why conservative judges, on the, especially lower court ones, will not go out on a limb and do something very far out of what's considered legally 
acceptable, even if they know they're right on it constitutionally, is because they know it's just like they're just not going to bite. The reason why Judge Reed O'Connor in Texas just issued a summary judgment but did not put an injunction on Obamacare is because he knew even the Trump administration, much less the Democrat administration, they wouldn't have followed it. They were not going to shut down Medicaid and the subsidies and the reg- regs and disrupt the entire you know healthcare system, whether you like it or not, based on a judge's order. They're just not going to do it. So he'll look like a fool and have egg on his face. That's all it takes. But it takes a movement. It takes ideas. Not this distraction of personalities. My take. I, I. I always try to stay away from using I in writing. To make the issue about ideas, not about me. Everyone else, the colonists, it's all about them. That's the problem of having a movement not around ideas, but around, you know, just raw personalities. But I wanted to give you that good piece of news from this Virginia judge. There's a lot to say here. Now, so anyway, that, that that's with abortion. And, and, and again, I just, just the, the bottom line with abortion is, as I've said before, I, I know this is going to sound a little obnoxious to some, and I'm certainly happy that people are willing to fight on it. I'm just telling you. It's not that suddenly among certain elected Republicans and even conservatives, there's this newfound zeal to go to the mat for God's word. Biblical values, constitutional values. It's virtue signaling. I'm just, or, or, or I think that's a little bit strong and somewhat inaccurate. Let me Let me correct the record on that. It overlaps with virtue signaling. Some of them might genuinely be doing it for right reason. they're, reasons. They're not virtue signaling. But my point is everyone loves babies. That's part of the reason why it's easier on this issue. You go to the homosexual agenda, forget it. You're not going to find any movement. Immigration, I mean, th- this is the thing. There's no reason why we can't be doing this on other issues, but the reason they're not, the reason they don't want to, is because of, um, you know, everyone loves babies, but I don't want to be viewed as a hater. So there's that. There's another consequence of not having a movement of ideas. And that is what you see going on in general with immigration. Again, Declining to comment directly, we, re- we already did pre- preliminary comments on the Jared Kushner thing. We'll wait till we'll see what the president says. But just in general, what's going on in the administration now? At some point, I can't blame the president. Like I said, he's not going to be a leader, but he is open to our ideas. And he's clearly implementing on some level some of the lower level ideas we have. He absolutely is. But the, but you got to put yourself in, in, in his shoes. You get blowback from your own advisors. Now, some of that's his fault, who he appoints. You have the deep state and all these agencies, DHS, just screwing with him. The left is going to be militarized against him. And the right doesn't pre- pull him the other way and talk about it and make the case like we're making. They talk about freaking Mueller all day. They talk about stupidity all day. So, I mean, from his end, you got to understand, he's not seeing any of this. 
But nonetheless, what happens is you get a hodgepodge of half-baked things. So, for example, the president's doing a lot of things, like we said. He's starting to deputize other federal agents to go to the border. He is bringing the military in more. He is starting to have Border Patrol be empowered, or at least a certain number of them, to deny credible fear requests. And just yesterday, there was another good piece of news. NBC reported that the administration is um, getting the 10 cities on loan from DOD. They already have them. And they're going to erect them and put them up. And then ICE is going to run them in five, I think, five locations, enough to hold 7,500 people. So that's already, you know, ready something. So this is really good progress. But again, the question is, all this stuff, is it geared towards an 1182F shutoff as a way of enforcing it and holding the line of worrying about sovereignty? Or is it geared towards just a more efficient processing of catch and release without fundamentally changing the policies? And my concern is, I mean, I have questions into CBP and DOD. I have not yet heard back um, heard back from them. But at least the NBC article says that they're only for adults. It doesn't say the word only. It says for adults. My whole point was to have family units detained there. So you have them contained in a place. And you have the rocket docket to get them out. And again, in my view, if you have an 1182F shutoff, you don't even need a rocket docket because you shut it off. You're just holding them so they don't escape or they voluntarily depart. But if you're just going to do it for adults, what that tells me is that they just want to stop the further bleeding. And I guess there's some usage that they're not going to do it. The family is the same thing. It's just they're at the cusp now because of the families. There's no room that they even have to start releasing adults, single adults. So therefore, they're going to go and um, they're going to go and uh, put these ten cities up. So at least they could hold the single adults. That's not going to dissuade most of the migration. So. That's the point. Today, rather than giving a speech on chain migration and merit-based visas, it needs to be about the emergency of the border. And it needs to be a speech about announcing a shutoff. There's nothing more emphatic than that. So, but again, I mean... Trump's not going to sit and go into the case law himself. He's got to have people going to him. All these lawyers in the conservative movement that claim to have his ear, they need to get to him. So that's the story. And by the way, it should, just so you know, I, I spoke yesterday with the, um, the special agent in charge of HSI, ICE's investigative unit at El Paso, And he told me, he said, it's such a scam. We talk about family units. Do you know that a large share, if not the majority, so you probably picture like a mother, a father, and three, four, or five kids. It's usually an adult male with one kid. An adult male with one kid. 
Think about the scam. You know, if you're really, you know, persecuted, you're downtrodden, the whole family escapes together, yada, yada. You have adult males coming with it. That tells you it's not like qualitatively different. Oh, in the past it was single adults. Now it's families. No, it's the same type of people. They're just using literally every aspect of the invasion is commensurate with our policies. It's not push. It's all pull factors. It's all magnets. Because the way they migrate speaks exactly to the magnets. So A, some of it is just men coming to work and they're self-separating. Or what he told me is a lot of what's happening is the families will split up. The smugglers will help them out with that. And they'll have, let's just say, let's just say there's two kids. The mother will go with one, the father with another. See, here's the thing. Let's say you come the mother and father together with um, a bunch of kids. You could still prosecute the father and you won't violate the virtue signaling tenant of, of fake law of not separating the kids because the kids will be with the mother. So what they do is they ensure that the kids are divided between the mother and the father so they both shielded. That's what a scam it is. And again, that's not law. That's not law. Law says that you violated a law. The notion that you would be better off as an illegal invader than an American who commits a crime, your kids go given over to child protective services. You're separated. We failed to make that case enough. That's the biggest concern here. So um just want to close the loop on that that the president needs to do a full shutoff. He needs to articulate this case. I don't know what new law you could pass to prevent such rampant fraud. Fraud is fraud. Okay, it's fraud. It's not asylum. So that is with immigration today. Now, a whole bunch of other stuff I have, haven't gotten to, haven't put down yet. But let's save, let's save that for, um, for tomorrow. And I just wanted to say that this point today, that we have a movement of personalities, not ideas, is very relevant to what we started out with with Jailbreak as well, which ties into our other, I guess you'd say, aphorism, which is that the left harnesses talking points in pursuit of policies will grab random policies in pursuit of a talking point. So, you know, personalities wanted to think, oh, oh, the president is more sympathetic to criminals and even Democrats. He's good for the blacks. He's good for this. And never bother to study ideas and issues and understand how when you're talking about crime and drugs, it's not a like a domestic petty crime issue anymore. It's an immigration international cartel issue. That's the issue here. Um, speaking of the devil, I'm just thinking now, literally just seeing this, some of you might have seen earlier in the week, um, two Michigan farm workers were killed 
or I'm sorry, two Michigan farm workers killed a colleague, a coworker. It turns out they were, you know, we knew they were Mexican nationals. Now we know they're illegal. Um, there you go. Why is that important? I'm going to have to get into this because I'm literally seeing this now. Sorry for being distracted, but, you know, it's a point we've been making time and again. That the issue about low-skilled labor, whether it's the guest worker programs and whether it's illegals, it's not just a wage issue. It's a cultural issue. You're bringing in hardy young men from volatile, dangerous countries, and you dump them in our rural areas. I mean, there's other aspects. There's culture and crime in addition to wages. You know, I have it on good word that Jared asked someone, one of our allies, tell me, is this really just about wages or is it really about color of skin? Well, it's not color of skin, but it's about a lot of other things than just wages. But you see where his mind is. But we'll get to that in a minute. I mean, not in a minute. We'll get to that tomorrow. Anyway, um, that's the story with that. Um, oh, look. Just see Mike Lee. Grateful to see First Lady and President making paid parental leave a priority. Check out this article to learn more about the Cradle Act. Here you have Mike Lee regarded as the most conservative senator who unabashedly has something called the Cradle Act. You can't make this stuff up. Cradle to grave socialism. Again, we want talking points. We're good for working families. We're, we're good. Like, like, pick a demographic and virtue signal. I mean, if that's the game now, if that's what we feel we need to do, then you're lost already. What's the point? Where's the ideas that matter? So, gosh, so, so many other things. I'm just clearing the decks here. Um, we are going to talk tomorrow about, about Jared and the president, but some of you are asking me about Lindsey Graham. Well, didn't Lindsey Graham introduce a good bill that seems to, you know, say you could detain people and this and that? Now, let's put aside the fact that it's current law and we shouldn't need to agree to the premise that you need a new law. But okay, let's say it's a good good bill. What a lot of people have forgotten is that Lindsay already introduced a Dream Act parallel to this. So he's going to mark it up. He's going to have a markup, a hearing in Judiciary Committee. He's the chairman now because we never protested that. He's going to have a Judiciary Com Committee markup in June. And what he'll do is he's just going to merge the two. And you know that among Republicans especially mixed with the Democrats, when you do two things, you have enforcement and you have amnesty, there's unanimity of opinion supporting amnesty, especially dream amnesty, but not much with enforcement. It might be a talking point, but they don't support it as much as they support the amnesty. So the bill is good, but just know he has a parallel bill he's going to mark up with it. Moreover, why is this the first hearing he's holding? He's the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, and the first hearing he's holding on the crisis is in June. Go figure that. Anyway, with the remaining time, I want to get back to national defense. 
some very important news is 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 breaking. Not breaking, but more uncovered day. I'm going to give you two... These are subscription articles, again, from CQ. Very important here. You can't make this stuff up. Evidently, our government, you know, it's part of our funding. I don't know if it's the Afghanistan war funding or if it's part of State Department funding. But we reimburse the Taliban for travel expenses. What? Huh? Yeah, you heard me right. We reimburse the Taliban for travel expenses. So the Trump administration asked Congress earlier this year for funds to reimburse Afghanistan's Taliban for expenses, the insurgent group incurs attending peace talks, according to a spokesman for the chairman of the House Defense Appropriations Subcommittee. The money would cover the Taliban's cost for expenses such as transportation, lodging, food, and supplies. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Uh, said Kevin Spicer, a spokesman for Chairman Peter Visklowski, Democrat Indiana, in a statement to CQ Roll Call. The Defense Department requested fiscal 2020 funding to support certain re reconciliation activities, including logistic support for members of the Taliban. And in March 2019, they sent a notification letter to the committee on using fiscal year 2019 funds for similar activities. The Pentagon's request to funnel funds to the Taliban, quote, would implicate provisions of law concerning material support to terrorists, the Taliban's ongoing offensive operations against U.S. service members, and their continuing lack of acknowledgement of the government of Afghanistan or the rights of women in Afghan society, said Spicer. I mean, so here you have even a Democrat who's allowed to get to the right of this administration. I mean, really? Shouldn't we all agree to this? So we're now paying... Taliban negotiations they're, we're paying their travel expenses to negotiate to travel to Qatar and spend money in Qatar's economy I mean why are we doing that just get out and it's not it's not a retreat that's a position of strength it's like go kill each other we're done with you we're not going to be weak and expend our resources on you we're going to expend it on our own border or use it for Iran but what are you what are you doing I mean, this is something we don't have a movement on our side, and the Heritage Foundation is obsessed with staying there for 100 years. This I know the president doesn't like. He wanted to get out. He doesn't have a movement around him. So he's got the internal pressure from the broken military leadership, the broken guys, and that's it. So there's that issue. Man, is that funny. You can't make this stuff up. Yeah, we just paid for the Taliban's travel expenses, you know. I mean, I'd pay for their travel expenses. I'd put them in uh, Miguel Aleman or something, you know, where you have cartel warfare. Let them deal with that. Pay money so they could travel to Qatar. And negotiate. What are you negotiating? But again, this is part of this whole thing to save face. They know there's nothing to do there. They know they need to pull out. They're just too scared to do it. So they have to have some sort of negotiation. There's nothing to negotiate. Oh, but all that money goes down the tubes. It, you know it's going to go down the tubes anyway. Whatever negotiation you have, the Taliban take over, the fake Afghani government falls, every last thing you built 
either falls apart or goes in the hands of the Taliban. But that's water under the bridge. I mean, that ship has sailed. We knew this 10 years ago. We knew this 12 years ago. Every year we're reluctant to do it. Only makes it worse and throws good money after bad. But again, there's so many acts of strength we can do with our military that actually comport with our national interests. You're not going to look weak by pulling out because you're going to be doubling down going after Iran, doubling down on the cartels. Which leads me to the next thing, another issue of soft power. As we always noted, the way to counter Russia is to pull out of their stupid treaties. One of the worst aspects of the Obama administration was the New START Treaty. Okay, New START Treaty was unilateral disarmament. Okay, basically allows Russia to do whatever they want, where we want, once again disarm. That was just a reality. Um, so, now... To this day, I never understood how they verified anything on this treaty because the reality is there's no way Russia fulfilled their obligations and got rid of what they were supposed to get rid of. There just is no way they did. So this is scheduled to expire. When is it going to expire? Um, I guess in a year or... I think it's February 2021. It's going to expire. And, you know, again, just to, to re- rehash what it, what it did, it went into effect, um, yeah, it was February 5th, 2011, so it was a 10-year treaty. And within seven years, okay, they had until February of 2018, about a year ago, to reduce their nuclear triad delivery systems. Okay, so the triad, that's three elements of it. The deployed intercontinental ballistic missiles, launchers. Okay, those are, that's land, submarine launch ballistic missiles, SLBMs, it's the sea, and the strategic, strategic bombers and nuclear warheads from the air. So the agreed upon limit on the delivery systems was 800 deployed and non-deployed launchers, of which no more than 700 could be deployed. And the limit on warheads was 1550. So you could have no more than 800 triad launchers, whether it's air, land, or sea. And then armed with warheads, the warheads can't be more than 1550. Now, think about this. At the time in 2010, when they forged this deal, right off the bat, it was a lopsided deal because America had roughly 1,800 warheads, so they had to you know, lose some under the deal. Russia only had 1537 at the time, 13 below the target. They were below it anyway. So now, America reduced its stockpile all the way down to 1350. 25% reduction. Russia actually kept... So, you know, you had seven years to get rid of it, but during the seven-year duration, they went up and up and up and up. As late as March 2017, just 11 months before, Russia, according to CRS, had 1,700 warheads. Suddenly, we're to believe that they got below the limit and had 1444 last February. Nonsense. 
Okay. Now, meanwhile, Russia is using all sorts of super weapons to, you know, get their stuff. So um, you would think is a no-brainer, just like Obamacare, all these things that Republicans supposedly opposed, but not really. Now it's coming out because now you have a new president and new opportunities. And, you know, you have a lot of these like Mitt Romney type of Republicans that go after um, Trump like, oh, you're being too close to Russia. Well, now's your time if you're for combating Russia. This is the right way to do it. According to CQ, more Republican lawmakers are calling for a five-year extension of the last remaining arms control agreement with Russia. The Trump administration is assessing whether to renew the New START Treaty, which sets limits on the number of long-range missiles, heavy bombers, and strategic submarine submarines Russia and the United States can, can possess. The treaty will expire in 2021. The administration would prefer to significantly revise the treaty to include limits on new types of nuclear weapons Russia is developing and to even include China. Right, because that's the thing. This is outdated. Russia's moved beyond that. All their super weapons. But a um, whole bunch of Republicans are trying to honor Richard Luger's legacy. So this latest measure was led in the Senate by Senators Jeff Merkley, Todd Young of Indiana, and Indiana's other Senator Mike Braun. Lovely. We thought he'd be good. Freshman. By the way, I haven't come to think of it. I've never heard his name in six months. Interesting. Stealth senator there. So much for that. Um, Mike Braun. So the two Indiana Republicans, as did Rand Paul. Yeah, he's into his treaties. Susan Collins. And then on the House side, you have Jim Banks from Indiana. Jeff Fortenberry of Nebraska. Chuck Fleischman of Tennessee. House Foreign Affairs Ranking Member Michael McCall introduced a bill earlier this year, this month, with Elliot Engel, the chairman, that similarly urges a five-year extension of New START. But Senate Foreign Relations Chairman Jim Risch of Idaho is not on board. At a hearing Wednesday, Risch said it would be gratuitous to extend New START given Russian noncompliance with a separate bilateral treaty on intermediate-range missiles that is now on death's door. So at least he's holding some sanity. But you see what I mean? Like, I thought all Republicans, you know, standard Republican dogma, you're anti-Russia, you're anti-Iran. So every time Trump tries to get tough, they don't back him. But again, we keep electing garbage because it's all about personality is not ideas. So that's with that. Um, Tons more stuff going on. We're going to try to get to Kushner's thing and Trump's speech tomorrow. Might have a guest. Um, just wanted to also update you. I mean, we're about to get screwed on the disaster rate and the spending caps. And, you know, this is the thing. Like I said, Nancy Pelosi is now agreeing to add to the disaster aid border aid. Oh, that's great. No. Because the administration, most of what they asked for is aid to help illegal aliens. It's aid, it's humanitarian aid. It's to further magnetize and incentivize free welfare. I mean, I don't understand why the administration did that. There were a couple of good things in there, but those things they're not going to do. The thing we need is more ice space, more ice beds, ice, ice. That's what we need. Detain, deport. 
That's where we need money, mainly policy changes. But if you want more money, that's where it is. That's where it is. But no, Pelosi announced that she'll likely attach this aid to disaster relief, but not the ice space. So it's $3.3 billion in humanitarian assistance. $2.9 billion, most of it's going to, it's not going to DHS, it's going to HHS to provide housing and medical care for, for unaccompanied minors who are scamming us, committing fraud, smuggling, conspiracy operations. And, um, and then even the $391 million that would go towards DHS is for processing facilities where migrant f- families would be provided with shelter, food, and medical attention. What about us? What about our humanitarian crisis? How about funding for the costs for the Texas government? Reparations. Reimbursement. How about reparations for the American people, taxpayer? Every taxpayer should get a check, an illegal alien cost check. So that's the little trick here. And just breaking now, I'm seeing this. So Shelley Moore Capito, I mean, think about this. Say what you want about West Virginia, but it's as red as they come as it relates to two issues, abortion and immigration. And yet we have Shelley Moore Capito, who is pro-abortion, openly pro-abortion, weak on immigration, representing West Virginia. So she is the Senate Homeland Security Appropriations Chairwoman. So this is not the Homeland Security Committee. This is the Appropriations Committee. But it's the subcommittee for of appropriations that deals with Homeland Security. So she said on Thursday that... She hopes additional funds include to expand ICE's detention uh, space, bed capacity. But if that would hinder the package's ability to to pass, she's not opposed to that money being left out. (laughs) That's the thing with everything. Democrats demand, Republicans ask. But they don't really mean it. Because we have a movement. Not built on ideas. We have a movement of personalities. And we have a movement of talking points, not of policies. Anyway, hope you learned a lot today as always. More tomorrow. Pay attention to our written content as well as my Twitter feed. Um, We're going to be updating you on our thoughts on the president's speech coming out very soon. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all. Thank you for listening to the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. (laughs) 